you launch a new show and you can't do the move of a broadcaster in his 30s anymore, which is that if you do a weekend away, a bender weekend, let's say, one with the fellas, I need the Monday off. You'll notice that that happens with me throughout my career, for those of you that pay very close attention. I'm, I'm in the studio today with Pete and Joe, who are both in their 20s, and ever since I've gotten to the office today, I've just hated them. I've just been staring at their youth, hating them, because I'm on day two. This is the second day of the hangover after I went to my good friend Sam McKee's wedding this weekend and had an absolute time. What a great event. Congrats to Sam and Allie. Had an absolute blast. I don't think he'll be back on the station for a couple of weeks. But boy, um, yeah, I'm just dragging. I just, it's not even like I feel sick because that's not a thing. That wasn't a thing. It's just a mental fog for two days. I'm watching football yesterday and I'm, I'm, I'm like Homer Simpson on the couch going, work brain, work. Think about things. Be inspired by something other than an Uber Eats order. You know what I mean? Like, get it together. Find a way. Do something. So I'm catching up on all the Blue Jays stuff because, like I said, I was out of town. I was at a wedding, you know, just doing the, the fun wedding stuff. And I come back. I'm catching up everything Blue Jays. Magic number's at two. Rays are out of the race. Jays sweep the Red Sox. Feels pretty good. Jays have just dominated Boston this year. My friend, I think it was Joe Cacharo, he had a great tweet about how if you look at the Red Sox record against the Jays, it's basically the difference between them and being a competitive baseball team this season. Just an absolute domination. Kind of a, a little bit of an overlooked story for the Blue Jays. But all I could think of is, okay, they're at 90 wins now. Jays hit 90 wins. Obviously, they still have stuff to play for because, again, their magic number is two for getting home field advantage. They really want it. We all really want it. I think that speaking to Jared Carabas last week, it, it really did dawn on me how this is going to be important for the Blue Jays. I, I've been to the ballpark in 2015 and 16. I, I know how intimidating it can get there. You just saw Garrett Cole have his near meltdown against the Jays the other night where he just, it's hard to say because it's Garrett Cole and he does those Garrett Cole things, but it means something to have fans here. And it feels like just yesterday because we went so long without playoff baseball in Toronto that 2016 doesn't feel that long ago. And the pandemic always screws up timelines where you go, how long ago is something? How Jays had that weird 2020 playoffs where it's, you know, against the Rays, Ryu Ray, where there's no fans, doesn't really count. This counts. Getting home field counts. And I really felt that over the weekend. But one thing I couldn't help but think about, too, as they hit 90, was that at one point during the stretch, the Jays looked like they were going to be in trouble to make the postseason at all. And the pressure points for this front office and how things have sort of changed over the stretch. To talk about that with me, uh, one of the very best in the podcast industry, David Sampson of CBS and the Nothing, the host of Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Good morning, man. How are you doing? I am good. How are you? It's October. I know. It is. And you know what? It finally feels like October because I, I won't lie, this Blue Jays run... It, it has felt a little sluggish at times. It has felt a little slow. Um, I wanted home field advantage. I never really cared too much about home field advantage. I just didn't want them in a spot where they were pitching Alec Manoa in the final game of the season to try to ensure that they got home field. But now, now it feels like it's cooking. That, that Red Sox sweep made me feel like we're here. 
Well, ready or not, here they come. You know, I've been on the Blue Jays since before the season started. I actually picked them to win the pennant in the American League and go to the World Series. And I don't think it's out of the question. I'm sort of disappointed that I, I projected and thought the starting rotation was better than it's been. Uh, very disappointed with Berrios, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, but there's just something about this team. I love the front office. I love the fans. I love the fact that they're back in Toronto. You just referenced that. And having home field advantage in the first round, it matters. And the reason it matters is you want to get out of, you want to get into the division series as quickly as possible. You want the two game sweep and you have a better chance of getting it at home than you do on the road. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to talk to you about a couple of those things because they hit 90 wins and we'll see what it ends up being. But you said it coming into the season, they were projected by many as World Series favorites. I don't know if that's what the books had them as. I can't really recall where they stood in terms of they were the favorites. They were second. The guys are telling me that they were second. Um, the season has been a success. They look like they're going to lock up a wild card spot. Um, the Yankees got off to such a torrid start that it sort of took away a bit of the expectations of winning the division pretty early on. No one was really looking at it through that lens. But there were blips. There were moments in the season where people thought, hey, if they miss the playoffs, is it going to cause uh, is it going to cause a loss of jobs in the front office? Are we going to see a reshuffling? What are we going to see here? How do you think that they're looking at this so far is should they lock up the number one wildcard seed and end up with say like 92 wins? I think anytime you have a nine in front of your record, that is a successful season. Anything, you know, 90, 72 or better is a really, really good season. Obviously a hundred is the promised land yeah. where very few teams ever get to. But I think in a, in a division like the American league East, where you do not believe you're going to be out of it as early as everybody was, you know what the Yankees were doing? They were on track at one point to win 190 games this year. Yeah. And the thought was just, that's it. They've run away with it. But I think Toronto goes into this postseason saying to themselves that we're worried about the Astros for sure, mm-hmm. but they can go toe-to-toe with the Yankees. And they know that. And that makes a difference. So I'd rather be hot in the second half than the first half. So I think that the Yankees are not in the best position of any team in the American League at all. I think the Yankees have more issues in their rotation than the Blue Jays do. I think that the Yankees lineup has more issues than exist in the Blue Jays lineup. I think the Yankees bullpen has more issues if I, than the Blue Jays. So, frankly, I think the Blue Jays are a better team, regardless of where this division ends up and the fact that they're going to finish in second, not in first. But in the playoffs, as you very well know, anything can happen. And it just, there's going to need to be somebody who gets hot. And it doesn't need to be Guerrero. It could be anybody. But someone's going to have to get hot where you don't expect and You're going to have to get some length out of your starting rotation. So do you think that jobs were on the line? Because, again, this was a team that at one point was fighting for a final wild card spot with Baltimore. And they were heading into all these different games with them down the stretch. And it was a real point of consternation, especially after the deadline. Do you think that there was ever a point where had they missed one or two of those guys would have been in trouble. Do I have the year wrong, or didn't the Blue Jays have a managerial change during the season? They was sure did. They did. This they, it feels like it was two years ago, right? <laughs> yeah. So there were jobs on the line, and there were lost jobs. But if you're asking specifically about front office, I think that Shapiro has earned more than the benefit of the doubt from mm-hmm. his bosses at Rogers. And this season, uh, no matter how you slice it, the way it works is when you get rid of your manager, it's to create another length of time or another boundary between getting rid of you, right? So that's what you do as president of the team is you get rid of the manager. Then if that doesn't work, you get rid of the general manager. And if that doesn't work, the owner's just going to fire you. 
Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of ground to cover before that happens. So I think that Mark has quite a bit of protection around him. But if you look at the move he made, I don't believe that managerial change is what made the Blue Jays better or quote-unquote save their season. We always look for a different voice when it's not going well. We look to blame anything but ourselves, as I said. But I think the Blue Jays would have been in the same position regardless of who their manager was. Yeah, and this is why it's such a weird why I started this today with you of how are we really evaluating this? Because you're right. The I looked at myself going this morning, why are you... Why have you been this way for so much of the Blue Jays season? Because we really haven't talked about this like they've been a 90-win team for most of the year. Like, it just it hasn't been that way. It's been a lot of, you know, I heard you on Blair and Barker last week talking about potentially releasing Barrios next year. And I'm going, wow, that's how bad that contract is right now. Because we lose sight of it a little time because here in Toronto, there's I think there's a lot of excuse-making for Barrios because of the the high end of his starts and not completely looking at his body of work and saying this is actually what the season's been. They completely miss on Yusei Kikuchi. Um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has had a season where he's really had a step back. Like his last month of the year, he's OPSing 628. I was looking at that today. You know, Bo Bichette was down for so long, ends up getting red hot. There's people that are questioning the George Springer signing now because of the injuries and because of the age. Uh, It's just, it's been a weird, weird, weird year. And yet here they are with these 90 wins. And I'm going, man, am I just spoiled? Am I missing? What, uh, what am I missing here? But how much faith do you think, like you just said it, they should, they've earned the benefit of the doubt. They've insulated themselves to a degree when it comes to being, this off season, do you get the sense that despite missing some of these contracts, that they're still going to have a bunch of power and some money to spend on free agents? Cause yeah, they, they have had some hits like Osman, but they've also had quite a few misses. Yeah, if you can, you're, you're having a little bit of um, area bias because Definitely. you're focused on your, on your team. Take a look at all 30 teams. Every GM, including the executive of the year who wins it every year, whoever that is, they also have misses. There's no such thing. When you're signing players, you're not going to get it right every time. You hope to get it right more than you get it wrong. And if you look over the course of Shapiro and, and Atkins and what they do, they get more right than they get wrong. Um, so I'm not as concerned. And what I said about Berrios is the reality of releasing him. I know he's got a hundred plus million dollars left, but the mm-hmm. reality is how many more times do you give him the ball every five days? And I said, of course you don't do it before spring training, but if he goes into next year and through the course of next year has the same type of year, they're too good a team. They're too good an organization that got deep enough pockets at the ownership level that they're not going to lose simply because they need to play a player who they signed in order to explain the signing. And there are teams who do that, right? We did it with a guy named Wei-Yin Chen. We signed him, and we kept throwing him out there because he was a big free agent signing, and he just stunk every five days. But we said we have too much invested in him. He's got to turn it around, and we're going to give a much longer rope than a team like the Blue Jays, which is the right way to do it, right? In the dream world, you've got enough money where you don't have to give enough rope where you have, end up sacrificing every five games. So that part will be interesting. I want to touch on Guerrero. Mm-hmm. You are saying that he had a step back this year. Yeah. That is such a dangerous way to evaluate. So front offices generally won't think the way you're thinking because last year that's not sustainable unless you are one of the top players of all time. Mm-hmm. And we don't know whether he'll be one of the top players of all time. He's not currently one of the top players of all time. He's way too young. It's why I said and had this debate with Jeff about this. He's nowhere near Vladimir Sr., Nowhere near because of the career Senior had. Maybe he had a better year last year than any individual year Vladimir Senior had, 
But in terms of career, Guerrero's still young. So he's got to do it again and again and again. He's had a fine year this year. He is a above-average major league player. I wouldn't give him a 10-year deal for $400 million. I want to keep him hungry. But a step back is still meaning he's a damn good player. Yeah, I don't think that anybody looks at it that way. I think that one of the propositions, though, of the Blue Jays moving forward is that this guy could be the best player in baseball. I remember reading a Jeff Passan piece at the very beginning of the year that was outlining, okay, who are the best hitters in this sport? And the, the question was, is Vladdy ready to surpass Mike Trout as that guy? And this year has not been that. And, uh, like, my friend Ben Ennis brings this up all the time, but the one thing about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. that was supposed to be, like, his calling card was the institutional knowledge of the strike zone. And there really has been a, a year where that has not appeared to be the case. The power hasn't been the same. The approach hasn't been the same. And, yeah, I can only point out what the numbers are. You're right. It's not sustainable. I don't think anybody was maybe expecting him to be, you know, an MVP or a runner-up for MVP every single season. But, yeah, like the last month of the year when this team's been trying to chase this this home field advantage, he, like I said, he's been a 628. And you just mentioned the, the key thing, which is he's talked about this contract extension at times, right? He said that he's wanted to be here. I think I have the quote actually in front of me. He said, I'm open to signing a long-term deal with the Blue Jays. I feel happy playing here. I hope something can be done about it this offseason, end quote. You just said you don't feel comfortable handing him that $400 million deal. So if you even talk to him this offseason, where does, where does the number, where, what is the term? Yeah, I don't know that I'm offering him anything, to tell you the truth, because I'd rather a player like that go year to year because he's not going to give you a discount at all, and he's going to want to be paid as though he is one of the best hitters in the game, and I'm going to let him prove it year after year. And I'm not really taking a risk. In your mind, the risk is, well, what if he leaves after uh, his arbitration years and goes somewhere else as a free agent? That's a risk that you take, but you have to hope that you've got enough in your system. You've got the next player. You can sign a different free agent. You can keep your team good. But it really is uh, a cautionary tale in our sport, which is don't fall in love with your own guys to the point that you're blinded. And that is a very common thing because the fans, the media, everyone says sign and keep them. How do you not? How are you not doing that? And you've got to have a longer outlook. And so the example I give always to people: two, one, Albert Pujols left the Cardinals in free agency, and it was the best decision the Cardinals ever made back ten years ago. Two, Freddie Freeman left the Braves after winning the World Series. The Braves let him go. They replaced him with Matt Olson. And look, the Braves are in a position to defend their title. And, and if you're not in love with Freddie as a Brave, then you're not ever able to be in love, right? Mm-hmm. But as a disciplined front office, and you guys over there know Alex very well, you got to make decisions not on emotion. And uh, signing Vladimir to a long-term deal right now, that would be way too emotion-based for my liking. Yeah, Um, I thought the only reason that it would even be a discussion point for the front office is if he was willing to take a bit of a haircut. Um, If he was willing to take something that was below what I guess a lot of people perceive to be his market value, and I think he just kind of answered it. He's he's not doing that. So the other Blue Jay I want to talk to you about free agent-wise is Ross Stripling because it's it's been really hard to figure out what his future is going to look like because I mentioned earlier, and everybody knows it, the Jays blew it on Barrio so far. They blew it on Kikuchi. Um, 
there has been some difficulty when it's come to paying starting pitchers here. And I know you said every front office does it, but it's also because starting pitching is volatile and it's tough to pay sometimes in free agency. Like Ryu's injuries end up happening. This is a front office that paid Tanner Roark to give them horrific starts and ended up releasing him before his contract expired. I don't know if Ross Stripling is those guys, but he entered the season as the number six. He's been spectacular for them to the point where one of the talking points now is, is this guy going to start the second game uh, if you're up a game in a series so that you can line up Gosman for game three? What what do you think the future holds for Ross Stripling? And and how realistic do you think is that the Blue Jays are going to bring him back? I think you have to be careful when you sign pitchers at the high. And again, it's the recency bias is significant where you, you assume that you have seen something that you're going to see again. Stripling's year has been incredible. But for me, you know, a two-year, $36 million deal would be about as much as I would ever do uh, because I just don't view him as someone who I want to give five, six, seven years to under any scenario. But I think the Blue Jays, again, with starting pitching, the value of starting pitching has changed uh, almost to reflect our country in that there's an upper class and the lower class, and there's really the middle class is being disappeared. And I think that if you mistakenly think that a middle class pitcher is an upper class pitcher and you pay him as such, you end up getting hurt. So too many mediocre pitchers are getting these longer contracts, and I think owners are now realizing that they just don't make sense. Berrios was an upper-middle-class pitcher who got paid like an upper-class pitcher. And uh, I think they won't make the same mistake with Stripling. Yeah, it's just so tough for them, too, because they're also in this position where there's not a ton coming up from the minors. And if you're not paying him, who, who are you paying? Probably another guy from that same tier. And so the, I guess the follow-up is, how much do you as a front office value familiarity and what's known? Because they're going to have more data and information on Russ Stripling. They already know that he fits in with the clubhouse. He's, an, uh, uh, by all accounts, an incredible guy. How much do you factor those things in when you're evaluating him versus the field? Uh, in the old days, way too much. And in the current days, not nearly enough. And what I mean by that is the onset of analytics has really taken the emotion out of it. They've taken the clubhouse chemistry part out of it, and they've made it much more computer-based and, and statistically based. So you can replace stripling stats with a random, right? You can just put it into a computer, and you will get five pitchers who will, are, will be expected to have the same season next year that stripling will have, and then you try to get the, the cheapest one of those pitchers. So that is sort of the statistics-based analysis. In terms of clubhouse chemistry, while I do deem it important, and it was always something that we thought about, it was never the final sort of weight on the balance beam. It was never something where we said, okay, we're going to give in and go the extra year. We're going to give in and give the extra couple million per year because of what he is in the clubhouse. It's a bonus. It's a nice thing. But I've had winning teams where the players did not like each other. I've had losing teams where the players loved each other. So it is not it is not the panacea that, that you think. Yeah, I've seen Daryl Morey talk about this too, where he's stated he, earlier in his career he put no value into it, and now later in his career he does, which is, again, a little surprising considering he's the guy that you know, traded for James Harden again. Um, but yeah, whatever. Know, it's but like, he's like, I've I learned. Would take that. <laughs> yeah, I would take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. Um, Daryl's a great guy, but I think that uh, it's convenient. What we do as executives is we say things that are convenient where the public will say, oh, that makes sense. Because what we want is for you all to think that what we're doing is right and to forget about it when we do it wrong. 
uh, uh, here we don't forget about when you do it wrong. We remember. This is a very remembers when the GMs do it wrong. So last one, it's not a Blue Jays related question. Uh, one year, 30 mil for Shohei. Um, he's really the only player that I think most baseball fans care about outside of their market. Um, no arbitration. Uh, you called it a team-friendly deal, but will the team it's friendly for be the Angels? Yeah, so I just covered that on today's Nothing Personal that I just recorded before coming on with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm in absolute shock that I, I, I was talking to a bunch of executives this weekend. We can't remember an arbitration signing in October uh, and certainly one like a Shohei Otani because the benefit of being a pending free agent is that in arbitration, you get to compare yourself to any player. It's not like your first year of arbitration where you can only compare yourself to people in their first year of arbitration. When you are a final arbitration eligible player, you can compare yourself to free agents. So he could look at the Aaron judge contract and say, Hey, I deserve the same or more or just a little less. You can compare yourself to the new deals that, uh, that a Mike Trout deal, et cetera. $30 million, while it's more than anybody's ever gotten in their final year of arbitration, that doesn't matter to anybody because a lot of players sign deals before their last year of arbitration. Uh, so I would be comparing myself to players who Otani is not, and I don't know why he signed it. Is he hurt? Is he desperate? The Angels certainly don't benefit from it. It's not like this team is worth more because he signed now for 30 versus signed for 40 or signed for 50. That's in through the process, right? That's not going to change the sales price of the team. It doesn't make them easier to trade because he signed, right? That doesn't have an impact. So there's no real world impact in him doing the deal today. Maybe it gives him peace of mind and he wanted that going into the off season mm. for whatever reason. That's strange too. I just cannot figure out for the life of me. Was it pre-agreed to with Artie when he first came out of Japan? Is that possible? I'm sure. Anything's possible, but the fact that they negotiated and came to a settlement in October for next year is certainly bizarre. Okay, can I pitch a theory? Yes. It's the same reason he took less to be here in the first place, which is that this is a guy who's always said that he cares about baseball more than he cares about um, money. And that whatever, for whatever reason, he's trying to save the Angels cash by letting them spend it on other areas. Like maybe that's the guarantee or maybe that's the discussion point is, hey, um, if you take less, it gives us more to spend in other areas. We want you to be here. You want to be here. We still have Mike Trout. We're going to go spend an extra amount of cash, but just take a little less for us, and, and we will go out and do that and ensure that you are here this year, and we'll use it as the final run of whatever it is between us. Are you willing to say that he is the only player in the history of baseball to have that view? Yeah. I'm not okay. saying I'm not saying it factually. I'm saying this is my theory because you just outlined it. Like you just said, there's no you don't know why. There's no reason why it doesn't. It I, I, at first I, I, I thought the thing about, you know, him potentially making it easier to acquire to someone else or making it more attractive to someone. I was like, no, that's the stupidest idea ever. Who's who's, uh, you know, batting an eye at trading for Shohei Otani at 40 million versus 30. You know what I mean? Like that makes no sense. So it, it has to be his side that decided to do this. But I, I need an incentive of some kind for him to get there. And that's the only thing I can come up with. Maybe he should be GM, though, because the angel or owner, oh, yeah. because the angel who is not actually spending money, they sign Rendon like they sign free agents all the time. They just sign the wrong ones and can't win and don't have enough pitching. So, I, yeah, so I, I don't think that that's it. Right. What, what what's he getting? 20 million under market, let's say. Mm-hmm. So I guess they can go out and get a fifth starter or a fourth starter, maybe. 
I, I just I don't think that he would say that. I, I've never seen a player say that. Hey, make sure that you don't pay me as much as I deserve because I want to make sure that you have money for other players. You know, that's written about a lot in the papers. There are players who say it so they can look as though they're being sort of team team players. But in the real world of negotiating with agents, we've never had an agent ever in 18 years say, listen, our guy's worth X, but we're going to take X minus Y because we want you to sign other players and have a good team. Oh, I'm I've, saying, just, I've never seen it in baseball. I'm seeing they pitch it to him. Have you seen it that way? That they pitch it to him? That yeah, they, like the angels of the we'll team. More? Yeah, like have I, you I, seen I, it that way? Where, that. Yeah, you've never seen it where a front officer heard that a front office has said to someone, hey, like don't take this money so that we can spend it and we can share the money around and be more competitive? I've heard, I've heard executives say that publicly, huh. uh, but never, never in a negotiating room huh. because agents would just laugh at that because it's <laughs> silly. The agents want the most for their particular player at that particular time. And they all believe that owners are making money hand over fist. So it's not as though that owners don't have capacity to raise payroll, according to every agent. Um, this is really hard for Blue Jays fans to hear as they're, you know, a team that has a ton of young guys that they need to extend <laughs> and that they're hoping love it here. You and, have to manage and... your expectations, right? <laughs> it is very unlikely that they will extend every single one of them. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't think that people are expecting that at this point. Uh, David Sampson, again, the podcast is great. You want to listen to more on uh, him talking about Shohei. Nothing personal with David Sampson. And, of course, of CBS. Thanks so much for making time for us today, man. We appreciate it. All right. Have a great day. Take care, pal. David Sampson. And with that, it's time for action. Presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19 plus. Ontario only. Please play responsibly. I was playing responsibly this weekend, and I was cashing bets all over the place. Cowards parlay hits. Every single team that I was, you know, every theory I had, Chiefs. Theory, check. You know, Bills, weirdly get it, but theory, check. You know, like week four just felt like this is the prove it week for a lot of teams and the teams that needed it ended up getting it. And so I'm feeling pretty good. All right. So we've got another one tonight. Rams Niners feels important for both teams. Neither team has looked great. Jimmy G last week looked absolutely brutal. Um, the only thing I did get bad beat on was the same thing that, but not as bad as your cousin, Pete. I heard you mm. in the newsroom. Yeah. Terrible. I had the... Uh, I had the Steelers in a parlay as well that busted out because that comeback. I wasn't even looking at that game, by the way. Um, it was just done in my mind. I saw 20 to 10 and Steelers had gone up. And I, the only reason I was even watching it was because I wanted to see Kenny Pickett. I want to mm-hmm. see what he looked like. And then all of a sudden, it's just all on one of my screens and I'm watching Zach Wilson drive. And he's all of a sudden looking phenomenal after three quarters of awful. Then all of a sudden, fourth quarter, he's every little bit the, the pick. What did your cousin have? He had a 12-leg parlay, or I think they call it 12-fold parlay, and every one of them hit all money lines except for Pittsburgh. A $50 bet would have paid out 21K. Ugh. Just awful. I'd I'd be crushed. Well, yeah. I wouldn't eat for three weeks. Uh, It's not the guy who dropped the judge baseball. You know, he's still number one. I said that there's a moratorium on bad beats and complaining about them after that guy with the glove dropped the baseball. Right. I still don't understand why everyone's so obsessed with Frank Lasagna. Like, he was close, but he wasn't the guy. Like, who's the other guy? Who's the real guy? We still don't know the real guy. Well, anyway. I saw him on Jimmy Kimmel the other the night. The real guy? Yeah, real guy. Not yeah. the Frank Lasagna guy. The real guy. What was his name? I don't know. 
Oh, Pete. Not, not Frankie Lasagna. All right, yeah. yeah. So he won't be remembered. Yeah, oh, yeah. of course he won't. Get, yeah. He needs new branding, you know? Frankie yeah. Lasagna's got the branding. You know what, though? That guy needs to do an ad, like something where it's a, like, insurance company, you know, don't drop the ball or some yeah. personal attorney, like so, something... That guy's got to do don't drop the ball ads. Yeah. Progressive has to get on that. Some, or like somebody, intact or something don't like Don't drop that. the ball ads. Don't drop the ball ads. That's got to be you in this market anyways. Someone's, it, listen, ad campaign, figure it out. You'll go viral for the first day. So figure it out. Get that guy at least a little piece of what he missed in that ball. Try to get somewhere where he can justify to himself that it improved his life. Okay. Um, tonight. P. What Walker. do you like? What do you, oh, I like the Niners. You like the Niners? Yeah. Oh, wow. I like the Niners. Sean McVay's three and seven against Kyle Shanahan. And I think Jimmy G had a horrible week. And this is just purely my logic of this game. Jimmy G is terrible. Like, <laughs> we always have to be reminded of this, right? People were going, as a Seahawks fan this offseason, everyone's like, you got to trade for Jimmy G, trade for Jimmy G. And I'm like, no, absolutely not. What is that? Geno Smith is factually better than Jimmy Garoppolo. Facts. He's better than him. Look at Geno Smith's stats. He is with what he's got. In Seattle right now, he is better than Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo is better in that offense because he knows it, and he's been with Kyle Shanahan for forever. But it's one of those memes where it does the Jimmy Garoppolo life cycle is just when you're writing Jimmy Garoppolo off, he's going to have a game where he's just adequate enough to beat a Kyle Shanahan or a, a Sean McVay team, and then people are kind of back on the belief that they can win everything because he did it. So yeah, I'm Niners. I'm just going to take it on the money line because. Um, it's a good price. I'm not even just going to bother with the points. So I'm going to go Niners money line minus 125 on DraftKings. Interesting. I'm going to go Rams money line plus 110 okay, on DraftKings. Let's go. Um, ESPN's football power index. I don't know what that is, but they say well, that you the better Rams... because you're using it as the main piece in your PowerPoint <laughs> yes, for why you're betting yes. this. This is why you're backing yeah. up your point. Well, they gave me a nice number, a uh, 60.4% chance to mm. win outright. And uh, they say that the Rams should actually be favored by three points. Mm. And that kind of aligns with just my gut feelingness of, uh, yeah, Rams are going to beat the 49ers. So I like how pick. you're literally the guy who Googles and clicks on the first thing on Google and goes, <laughs> Got it. Yeah. JD, JD says <laughs> you bring a stat. The yeah. research is done. The research is done. <laughs> My stats are here. What do you got, Joe? Um, I'm going with a player prop. Okay. Um, between the four dives and the Rams, it's going to be a, a – I think it's going to be more of a, of a defensive game. I don't think the yeah. over's hidden. It's going to be not a lot of scoring. Slow, so 42 and a half. I'm putting, I'm putting Jimmy G mm. under 19 and a half completions. He's gone mm. under both games that he's played so far. Trent Williams, his left tackle, is still out with a high ankle sprain. He's going to be pressured. San Francisco has done well against Aaron Donald in the past, but that offensive line is going to have to adjust tonight, and it's still Aaron Donald. They're they're going to be in his face the whole night, and I don't think he's going to be... I think it's going to be a lot of rushing. I think Debo Samuel is going to get a lot of carries. Uh, Jeff Wilson's going to get involved in the run game. Mm -hmm. Jimmy G, under 19.5 completions, minus 110 on DraftKings. And this game's going to be like a 17-14 game. Okay. You guys are both against me, basically, is what I'm hearing. Yes. And so, yeah, we'll see. All i got to say is, is we'll see. Uh, <laughs> that was Time for Action presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19-plus, Ontario only. Please play responsibly. When we come back, debut our new Monday morning insider. It's Greg Jennings. Greg Jennings. Two-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion. How much did Mahomes want to stick at the Brady yesterday? Greg Jennings next. So the boys have informed me that the guy who dropped the baseball 
went on Kimmel, and his name is something Mulligan, Kyle Mulligan. So we have Frankie Lasagna and Kyle Mulligan, and my new suggestion to them is they should box each other for money. A charity boxing, but the charity is them for dropping that Aaron Judge baseball. Greg Jennings uh, plays with his great quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers, who had some really nice moments yesterday, too. Um, yesterday, game of greats looked to me like Mahomes wanted to make a statement. And, and I always wonder how teams view games like this, how different it is, especially when publicly facing, it's usually just like, hey, I respect this player and, you know, we treat this game all the same. Greg Jennings, two-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion. What's up, man? How are we doing? I'm doing great, J.D. How about yourself? I'm doing great too, man. I had a very profitable weekend, finally, you know, week four, busted through. Of course, it was the week that I, I thought was going to stink. Um, just sat there on the couch, disgusting all day, hung over, making money, and, and yeah, watching uh, a great weekend of football. And it closed out with a game that was pretty boring. Like, I, I'll admit that I turned it off before the game was over. I just decided, hey, you know what, I'm going to shut her down, maybe throw on the new Game of Thrones that sneakily I'm, like, not really that into. Uh, Brady, he gets smacked. The Bucs get smacked. This is a defense that was allowing, like, no points heading into this game. And Mahomes just toys with him. Like, he's making plays heading to the sideline where it just looks like he's a kid trying to have fun in that ball game. And I'm curious what you think his mindset is going into a game like that, playing a team that beat you in a Super Bowl that has Tom Brady and how much a group gets up for a moment like that and what a moment like that would mean to a guy like Mahomes who's as accomplished as he is. Well, a lot goes into that week. Um, a lot of what you just said, obviously, they, they lost in the biggest game of all of their careers. Who The guys who were there, Patrick Mahomes, obviously, um, the main guy we're speaking of. So you're reminded of that. But you're, and, you're, and you're playing on their turf, again, where, where it all took place. But I think what comes even in front of that and on top of that, is you're playing against Tom Brady, one of the best to ever do it, and you always want to put forth your best efforts as an individual, but even more so as a team when you're playing against a guy like that because you know you're going to get his best shot. And so that's what we saw on full display last night. Patrick Mahomes, willing and dealing, uh, looking like, you know what, I have all the respect in the world for you. You are the GOAT. You have, you've been the trailblazer for even myself in my career, but it's my turn. Without saying it, he showed it, and I think it was super cool to see. Like, the game wasn't, like, it, it really wasn't a contest. Mm -mm. You kind of knew that the Buccaneers defensively, they couldn't, they had no answers, and offensively, we didn't, I didn't believe that they would be able to put up points and, and really contest with, with the type of high offensive profile statement that Mahomes and, and Kelsey and supporting cast were making. Yeah, they, they kicked their ass. And it was an ass-kicking from the jump. Like, what, they scored 40 seconds into the game, and it's just from that point forward, it, it just not one moment did you feel like Tampa was really in it or that they were going to ever threaten them. And they're a team that prides themselves on their defense, and they got a bunch of weapons back. During the offseason, when Tom Brady retired, my theory was um, this guy doesn't want to play for the Buccaneers because he doesn't think that they can win. Even in a watered-down NFC, that he saw the writing on the wall that this was a team that was just below 
um, that championship tier, that he's a genius in this regard and that that's what he's looking for. Do you, do you see them as a contender through four weeks? Um, I see them as a contender simply because of the fact that they're in the NFC mm-hmm. and anything can kind of unravel and unfold. Uh, and with the way that I know that their defense is capable of playing, I don't see an offense in the NFC that is as polarizing as the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, as great as the Philadelphia Eagles has been, I don't know if they can do that and put up those type of numbers against that type of the defense. Now it's to be seen, but uh, that's why I believe that they still have an opportunity to compete and contend. But I'm with you. Tom Brady is a very smart individual. Obviously, he's won a lot more than any player in the history of our game. And you have to believe that he knows how to reset and recalibrate each and every season. But that's not that's not the case. When the culture is what it is, he went down there, and obviously all the pieces were in place. Everybody was salivating to win. You don't really get that sense that everybody is still salivating to win. Um, they've lost some very integral pieces that I think are going to hinder them, but they still have an opportunity because he's still that quarterback and because of how great their defense can be. Yeah, they had a their game last week where it was just you know them and the Packers, and they don't they they just can't move the ball all game, and then Brady goes down the field at the very end. That's the that's the thing I wonder about their team is just, and I'm sure you felt it with Rodgers too, where hey, if we get the ball at the end and we got a chance, we can do this and, and how that permeates through a team um, versus, you know, the Eagles who you just talked about. I, I love Jalen Hurts, but there's just no way that the Eagles could possibly feel the same thing if they're in the back against the wall type of situation in a similar spot. And so, you know, you kind of answered my question for me, but I'll, I'll kind of pivot it a little bit about the Eagles, which is I think that the Chiefs and the Bills – that that's the class of the NFL. That that's what we learned after this week. You know, Bills down 17, find a way to come back. This is now eight consecutive games where the Bills have allowed fewer than 300 yards. Um, they, they and the Chiefs are just the only teams that look special to me, unless you count the Eagles. But would you add another team to that tier? Is there anybody else to you that should be in that conversation with those three teams? Right now, no. Yeah. No. No, in, in the NFC, it, it is the Eagles literally flying by themselves right now. And, and I wouldn't discredit what we're seeing of the Eagles because I believe that this is a team that will continue to get better mm-hmm. uh, because I, I honestly feel like they're off. They're just now finding their stride. This is, again, it's week four. Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown have played together for four weeks, period. They played together for four weeks. So, they can build on what they are currently establishing and what they've currently put out there. Uh, defensively, they look great. They answer every question, offense, defense, special teams. The only, the only thing that I think will hinder them is their competition. Like playing the caliber teams that can put up points, can you stop teams when you need stops? Can you, can you get in a shootout? And when they shoot out, if that is the case, we saw them do it against the Lions. But let's be honest, I'm from Michigan. That's the Lions. Like I know they look different. It feels a little different, but it's still the Lions. Yeah. So uh, until until we see them against like the Bills, the the Kansas City Chiefs, and the the teams that we feel like the cream of the crop are the cream of the crop, then we're always going to kind of have questions. But I do believe that they are a solid team. 
Um, and they, I, I think that they're the team to beat clearly at this point early in the season. I don't know how. Uh, yeah, I don't know how many more times Lions fans can hear Dan Campbell have one of his post game things, where he's like, "I gotta be better. I gotta get these men that they." It's so dramatic every single time. It's like you guys keep losing. I don't know how many times you can go back to the well with this, Dan. Like people want to cheer for you. Everybody, you were the hard knocks team. Everybody wants it to be better. But watching them not be able to get a stop against Geno Smith over and over and over in that game, and Geno's been great. That was just oof, that was a tough look for Lions fans. Um, so. In that Bills game, uh, like a lot of the Bills' performance kind of gets overlooked and the way that they came back in that ball game because John Harbaugh decides to go with a very controversial decision at the end of the game. Instead of kicking a field goal, um, he decides to go for it on fourth down, which is not foreign to the Ravens, right? Like very aggressive team. Lamar loves to go for it. He loves to put the ball in his hands and try to end one. Um, the proposition changes because they wanted to keep the Bills at the two-yard line and instead, you know, Lamar throws the interception and uh, like gets... Ball, or sorry, gets Buffalo off the back of the end zone. But what did you make of that decision? Like, because guys on the sideline were pretty pissed at Harbaugh, and that's not something I'm used to seeing in in Baltimore. That's a that's a class organization, and seeing dysfunction on the sideline where you know you have Marcus Peters barking at a head coach and having Harbaugh answer that way in a, such a defensive tone, like that that felt new to me. Yeah, it, it was new, and I think when you have a team that that feels like they had a chance and you took it away from them, you get that. And, and that's what you see with the Baltimore Ravens. They, they genuinely felt it was a 20-20 game. It's clearly a defensive battle. Like, it's a struggle all game to, to get in the end zone, to find any way to get points on the board. You put up a stance like that, uh, and, and you, all, you ha- all you have to do is, is don't allow them to – to score, but then your offense is down and they have a chance to score and you don't take points, what that says at times, I I get it. This is a team, like you said, they've done it before. But in this particular moment, Mm -hmm. you don't show the confidence and the belief in your defense to, to literally stop a team from going 95 plus yards against your defense that you say that you trust. And I understand, I I thought, Harbaugh's explanation after the game. Like, I actually buy that. I actually buy that because he makes a lot of sense. Uh, You know, he puts his defense in a situation where they're going to face four downs throughout that drive. However, what negates his entire point is when he says, I trust my defense. Mm-hmm. If you truly trust your defense, you take those points. You take those points. Well, Period. Yeah. Or you, if you don't throw the interception, they're out. Everything is everything ends up the same anyway. Except you don't have any points. They're at the twenty. They get the ball. Like or they have the twenty five. They get the ball. You kick. You get kick the field goal. You get the points. You boot it out the back of the end zone. They start from the twenty. Okay, now they now they either ha- they have to score a touchdown to beat you. Mm-hmm. I I thought there were two things. You didn't give them that chance. Yeah, one thing you mentioned there is how you know there's just there's no points. It was defensive battle, and so I thought, yeah, you know, just psychologically put that three up on the board because you haven't scored right. Like you blew this lead because you can't get any points. 
And the second part of it was just, yeah, the decision does change because of the interception, and we do look at it a little bit differently that they went down there. Also that, yeah, you're facing four downs that way. I heard Harbaugh say that until you get to field goal range, then you just need to stop. You know, they kick the field goal potentially, and you go to overtime, and you try again. You keep the game going. But either way, um, I just – I whenever these things happen, I always wonder how it resonates when it doesn't go your way within a locker room that, you know, the, the, a polarizing decision like that. Um, you ever see anybody use a cart – for a poo like DK Metcalf? I've never seen that. Yeah. I, <laughs> I've never I've never seen it. Yeah. We we saw we saw Lamar run off into the locker room yeah. and come back. Yeah. But I've never He denied it though. DK DK was smart. DK admitted it. He he owned it. Lamar denied it. Like yes. he he refuses to acknowledge that that's what it was all about. DK was like, I think he tweeted, I wasn't going to make it if I didn't use the cart. The the walk was not going to suffice. I was like, this is the best, man. Now everybody's just laughing with you, not at you. Exactly that clinch walk, and we yeah. all have been there. Oh, that's yeah. why we can relate. Oh, so yeah. it's like, okay, we I respect it, DK. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, the clinch walk after a hungover brunch. Is that like just the feeling of sweat and the walking and the the, just, the the moment through your mind where you're like, this can't actually happen to me. Like, please don't let this. Right, that's the that's right, the, that's the most religious right. I ever am. That's all of a sudden where I'm the most religious human being on the planet. Where I'm walking, I'm like, please, Lord, I I am your I am your son. <laughs> you know, don't let this happen to your son. Like, all of a sudden, I you would think that I was a minister the way that I talk when I'm doing the clinch walk. So good for DK. Oh, do you remember? God. Do you remember the any instance like that? though where a teammate where you're just like oh my god i, I can't believe that a the a paul pierce type moment where someone's breaking out an extra injury or anything like that just to get to the bathroom i've never like had a teammate that has done something like that but i mean the paul pierce instance it, it comes to mind like there's there's moments like that where i don't know i've always for myself i've always hated that like don't be dramatic just <laughs> <laughs> just make let it be what it is yeah. like if you're hurt you're hurt if you gotta go to just go like i think people respect and will appreciate even yeah. more the honesty like that's why we're literally having this conversation about dk and we're like in support of it it's like it nobody's bashing them because he's like shoot I had to do something that everybody has had to do, yeah. and I couldn't hold it. Like, I yeah. <laughs> the only thing with DK is that he's such a, like, he's not a real person in a way because he's just, he's such a, like, good-looking, freakish guy, right? That it's just, he doesn't have, like, he probably never gets embarrassed. And so, like, that's the thing where I go, good for DK doing this. And then I remember, I'm like, this is a guy who openly is just like, yep, uh, yeah, the stories about me and the uh, countless women—that's just facts. Like you know that this is facts. I'm not wearing a shirt anywhere. Like you know, I'm, it's like he doesn't live by the rules of the rest of us. You know, so when something embarrassing happens to him, he's like, "Why would I be embarrassed? I'm DK Metcalf. Look at me." And also, I'm it, like, "Did you see the contract I just signed?" I'm like, "Right." Um, <laughs> you, there's, I don't know what would embarrass him. I can't figure what that what that would actually be. Um, Greg Jennings, this was great. Again, we're going to be talking to you every single Monday. Can't wait for a full season ahead, buddy. Absolutely. I appreciate the time, J.D. Take care, man. Greg Jennings, uh, two-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion. And, yeah, it's like it's like when guys who are really tall try to tell you where they go. Oh, I just didn't feel embarrassed. I'm like, of course you don't feel embarrassed. It's not. This isn't in your nature. It's not the same. It's not the same as you and me. But that was great. I love DK on that.
And uh, yeah, the only last thing I'm going to say about the the Bills Ravens thing was I know the Bills are special because when they got that football at the end of that game, I was like, it's over. The Ravens, when they have that huge 17 point lead, I always felt like the Bills were still in it, and they and they don't step on their throat right, and that's why the Ravens are a tier below. The defense just can't come up with some critical stops. The offense just stalls. The Bills had moments in that game, but great teams are able to overcome the down moments in a ball game and still find what makes them special. And that's the thing about Buffalo right now is the defense locks it down. Again, that's a huge stat. Eight consecutive games where the Bills have allowed fewer than 300 yards. You come back from down 17 points, and when you get the ball at the end of the game, everybody in the building, everybody watching on TV is going, this game is over. This game is done. They're scoring. Bills are special. And that was a little overlooked because of Harbaugh's decision. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for listening. Thanks for leaving five stars. We'll talk to you tomorrow.